0: Welcome to the Watchers of the Skies program. Here we are at Ashland University. I'm joined by my colleague, Dennis Montecrusos. Hey, Dennis. How are you, Carlos? It's April 1st. It is. You're the greatest place on the planet right here at Ashland. It's snowing this morning. That's the fools, right? So the joke's on us. Hey, but we're joined also by some talented young people. As a matter of fact, Stephen Strucky right here in this camera. I was walking through the quad, and I heard someone scream, Strucky! It was him, so his nickname stuck. Cade's running the show, Bryn and Brandon also helping us out. You know, just this week, Dennis, I'm thinking about the people who've been on our campus, who I hope are reflective of our commitment to free speech, the sort of diversity of thought that's going on on campus. One, a friend of yours, Christian Miller, was here earlier this week. His message was not so encouraging, right? He talked about his research on virtue, and uh, Dr. Miller said, listen, what do you all think about, so our listeners, we can ask them this quiz that he began with, Mm -hmm. he said, uh, do you think that most of us are, we lack virtue, we're kind of on the lower end of the spectrum, we're kind of a mix of vice and virtue, or are we generally pretty good people, right? And so, boy, the people polled in that audience were pretty much all in the same place. I'll give our listeners a moment to, to vote. What do you think? Well, Dennis, how did that turn out for us?
1: Not virtuous. Not virtuous.
0: We were well down. Uh, He he talked about this experiment that's done where someone is filling out a form, and let's say we're both filling out a form. You're in on the secret, right? right? I'm not. I'm filling out this form, and I hear it in the other room. Someone's fallen. Something's on top of my leg's broken. Help, help. Now, if you do nothing, only 7% of people sitting in my seat do anything. So I was challenged by his uh, thoughts. Yesterday, we heard Michael Roizen you know, who was the chief wellness officer at the Cleveland Clinic, has been for years written on health. He actually gave an encouraging talk, unlike your friend, uh, (laughs) Christian Miller. Uh, Dr. Royzen pretty much told us that if we can live another decade, that we're going to add 20, maybe 40 years to our lives. And that uh, despite the fact that we have a, Centurion, as she was referred to, a 100-year-old woman, we were celebrating Lucille Ford in the audience, that it's not going to be so atypical. I just heard that a baby born in America today has a 50-50 shot of living to be 100, so he heard that opinion. you know. But we, we also heard from someone who talked about reading the Bible improperly, where he lectured about, God told me. Uh, uh, that this was the right way, something along those lines. And he talked about the civil rights era, where particularly conservative white Southern Christians were reading the scripture in a certain way. Something this is not foreign to either one of us. That said, God wants us to be separate. It's clear that that's what his his uh, desire was, and we misread the scriptures and tried to continue the awful segregation and separation between the races, the last thing that God has called us to. Right. Even using a phrase like, every tribe and every tongue, showing that there will be tribes and tongues, so that's what God wants, versus therefore there is no right. no any longer any uh, Greek, Greek nor free, Jew nor Gentile, and all the rest. Well that's what's happened on our campus just this week but we were watching the skies and read this article that talked about this phrase you knew this phrase it's it's not safe for work nsfw and i again as i'm clearly a troglodyte because i don't uh, <laughs> i wasn't aware of this phrase before reading this article but it's framed by someone named brian kaplan you were familiar with this work tell our listeners more about brian
1: right so he's an economist at george mason university has a, a bit of a libertarian touch to him. One of his most famous works is one you're not gonna be terribly fond of, nor will I for that matter, where he is arguing at the very least that education is overrated, or right. the, the, referring to four-year universities. Yep. So he's one of this growing movement of people who think that for, for some people, certainly academia is right, for others it would be better for them to, let's say, go micro-credentialing <sighs> with uh, as, as Senator Portman would have yes. us do so um yeah so that's that's part of his background and there's this kind of interesting group of folks at at gmu who are kind of pushing these different libertarian, slightly libertarian lines like tyler cowan and alex tabark so
0: they have a very strong well university overall when you think of it's a very young university but growing you know we have a connection to mason through our most uh, successful graduate in some ways, Dwight Schar. He has a named school there, extraordinary school of uh, politics and political science at at Mason. I didn't really know Kaplan's work before this piece in particular. I've read some of his uh, pieces subsequently. Definitely a, a thoughtful young man. I think one of the things that, I would say is because he takes an economist's view of value around education. Of course, I guess I have to say this, but, you know, the many other values that are inherently part of a great college education that wouldn't be picked up or maybe not valued at the same level. But in this article, he talks about love is love and then uses a definition from the Urban Dictionary, and I'll quote it here. It says, quote, A phrase meaning that the love expressed by an individual or couple is valid regardless... And that more follows, but very often it is simply regardless of anything that follows, but it says, regardless of the sexual orientation or gender identity of their lover or partner, and I'm going to take a little sidetrack as I'm often uh, want to do, but i i I think I hear this phrase so often, right right love is love, we don't question love, but we've always questioned love. One of the things that even the urban dictionary leaves out is. Not regardless of the sexual or how about not regardless of the marital status. So there's one, right? Is it okay if one is married? Right. Hey, love is love. Well, here's what the majority of Americans say, and not a small majority, right. like over 70 percent, I think most recently said that's not cool. Right. Right. You're married. It's not right for you. Well, I just happen to love her or him. Not not right. Right. So. Here we go. We're pushing back against... Uh, we're not just washers of the skies. I guess we're trying to be meteorologists, too, at the same time. But I, I have to admit, Dennis, that's one that has always struck me as unfair. I think about young people who are vulnerable to predators, mm-hmm. right? And is, is it that okay? You know, I actually recall, and this is years ago, that there was a group who was lobbying to reduce the age of consent, consent in America, which as you know, it varies from state to state. Right. New Mexico, I think it's 16 other states, hmm. it's it's that young. Their phrase was, sex before eight or else it's too late. Yeah, I mean, literally, they, they should be in prison, the entire I, group. I assume
1: this is NAMBLA you're referring to. I think that is yeah. right.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't think our listeners are aware of, and maybe we, you know, we don't even want to, want to know that such... Uh, predators exist. But to me, it's calling out that love is not love, that right. we have to be
1: a bit more judicious when we use that phrase. And yeah, Objective, I would say. Objective. Right. So, yeah, it's that there, if there is such a thing as a genuine human good, then it's not just going to be a matter of feelings, that there has to be the, 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 the objective, let's say, good of that person, of, right. of the, the object of the, of the love or supposed love that's at stake. So, if you're loving, if you love somebody, but in fact what you're doing is hurting them, then it isn't love. Right, and that would certainly be the case with, with um, pedophilia and, and that sort of love, right. supposed love.
0: exactly. I, I, and maybe for another program, we'll talk about the power of virtue that we once. Th- Thought about in the West. You know, I think about uh, Milton, for instance, in uh, his writings and talking about the power of virtue, and too often virtue was linked to virginity and only for women, but this idea that there, there's a power that comes with virtue, the kind of virtue that you just referenced, that right. love is not willy-nilly yeah. but is always considering the other first. But, you know, he takes a very different perspective here, Kaplan does, and talking about workplace love, and basically saying that the research is rather remarkable here, where men and women, particularly men, are fearful of engaging in relationships in the workplace. Maybe help our listeners understand what, what he's getting at when he talks about this danger and this reluctance.
1: Right, so there's this kind of catch-22, where the, the law is that you, if, if you are responsible for creating a, a hostile workplace, yes. right, then you can be censured in various ways. Well, let's say you're interested in somebody and you think, I'd like to go out on a date with this person. Well, if that person finds the um, the request unwanted, well, it's an unwanted sexual advance. Right. And so then that person has created a hostile environment for the for his coworker. So what do you do? I mean if the person wants to accept it, then it wouldn't have been a hostile workplace, but you don't know until you've asked. Right. So it's this, again, you don't know. I mean, you can only ask if you already know, but if you already know, you don't need to ask. So right. what do you do?
0: And for Kaplan, it's, it's dangerous. He, he's, he definitely knows that there's an imbalance of male to female, especially in uh, positions of authority, more men into positions of authority. And his point is, if men don't engage, not, not necessarily in romantic connection, but in mentoring, right? in any r- relationship. Because here, men are stepping back to say, I don't want to offend this person. I don't want her to think, or even him, to think that I'm making some sort of advance. So I'm, I'm just not going to engage at all. From his perspective, it will really lead to a lack of leadership. He knows that there we need more women in leadership, but that that requires some engagement that requires men to be intentional to say i'm going to help you advance your career and advocate for you in all of those things and how do i do that you know one of the things he points to and he's right in this i think dennis it's it's not it's difficult in that how how does one object if your boss is a jerk right now it's it, you know the sexual thing is one thing but it, it's tough you know if you want, people are, people are pretty much at will employees, I guess is my point, right? So we have this tension that inherently exists. In another article, you know, Kaplan says there should be an anti-jerk law for all bosses. Right? And, you know, his point is, well, it's maybe a bit amorphous. You know, we'd all think our right. bosses are jerks, perhaps. But he said, you know, it at least would put people on notice that it's not okay to be a jerk in the workplace. But the reality is, if you don't like it, quit, has kind of been the phrase, and now it's, if you don't like it, sue. And I think that's one of the things that Kaplan dials in on is that we're in a very litigious society. And so now what we have is this strange separation where bosses simply are not talking to coworkers. Certainly if there's a gender or power disparity, you know what, I'm, I'm not even going to ask. And perhaps there's a, a deeper issue here.
1: Well, there, there are a lot of things that could be said. I mean, what, I think another one of his articles, he um, recommends that we have more of a society of manners that rather than having this kind of legal framework, which can be stifling that if, if it was a simple, simply a manners approach, it would fix things. But unfortunately, the laws are such that it's, it's not going to, to be able to be done. I think I saw a piece that he linked to in, in from one of his links. And there's another link that okay. went to a piece by Richard Hananiah hmm. and Hananiah was referring to um, it was more on woke issues. But he said something to the effect that wokeness is just basically the law, uh, is, is let's say civil rights and, and the case law based on civil rights legislation for the last 50 years. And I think there's some of this too, that just the, the legal framework that's in play, it, it just, it forces certain behaviors. So it's not that, I mean, so you joke about an anti-jerk law, but but that's the problem right we right. need a law on top of the laws to right. try to undo the laws and it's just difficult to kind of fix this right so the legal the legal framework is such that you have to be just so extremely careful uh that even if even if what you're doing it has nothing to do directly even with that original law uh just the way the law develops and gets applied right so if equal protection, let's say, clauses, right. are interpreted in such a way that even if the original point of it had to do with, let's say, women's rights to vote or or African Americans after slavery during Reconstruction, right, protecting their rights and, and then with civil rights, protecting, again, their rights to vote and so on, it can be applied in, in situations that are far from it. And again, it produces these kinds of stifling effects.
0: Well, it's interesting, I think, some of the research he points to is he says we place such an emphasis on this post-MeToo society, mm-hmm. right? And the idea being that since Me Too, this movement that has brought to, to light this sort of collective concern around the way women have been treated, particularly se- sexual obje- objectification and other issues related to that. But he says, here's what the research indicates, that even pre-MeToo, after Me Too, the amount of issues regarding sexual harassment in the workplace they're still fairly minor. And he says that bosses probably don't have as much to fear as they think they do, that the research indicates people generally don't just out of thin air say, hey, you know what, he or she was oppressing me or you know, in some way harassing me, that, we, the, that bosses should feel a greater freedom because the research indicates it's it's really not a problem. It's been magnified by the press, right. it's not an issue, and and bosses should feel more freedom around these issues.
1: Well, I think he says that initially, but then he I think dials that back. Because what he says is even if let's say the odds of a particular claim of harassment are low in any individual case, right, the more the more instances there are the higher, of course, the odds are going to be. Plus, it's, it's let's say, expected value, right? So, yeah, the the odds of this, right? Okay, so Pascal's wager, in effect, is what this is. All
0: right, help right. us understand, so, okay. well, we, we so, know it.
1: But. Yes, so so Pascal's wager, pa, Blaise Pascal was a, a French mathematician and philosopher, philosopher in the 1600s. And in his famous book, The Ponce, he says you should bet on God. So he he gives reasons to think that Christianity is true. But suppose you you read all this and you think, well, gosh, I don't know. It still seems to me, let's say 50-50, that God exists and God doesn't exist. So why should I be a a religious believer? Why should I be a Christian in his case? And he says, well, here's the thing. If atheism is right, big deal, right? So maybe it's a little bit better in your regular life, in your earthly life, but you're dead, that's the end. If Christianity's right, hey, you, you win big, right? So if you become a believer, fantastic. You know, so even if life might be a little bit worse as a Christian than as a non-Christian, we don't know that, but let's say that's true. Maybe even a lot worse, but because the payoff it's worth is so the much wager. greater, it's worth the wager. So that's an oversimplification of the wager, but that that's the, the gist of it. So I think Pascal is giving kind of an I mean uh, uh, Kaplan is giving kind of an anti wager for for these bosses because yeah, maybe the the risk of any individual interaction, the odds of your being accused of behaving badly are low, but first of all, enough of these tries, but the the, the payoff is so bad right so if I don't if I don't engage in mentoring, then okay, you know, maybe I won't win boss of the year but if I do, and one one of these interactions in a hundred goes goes south, my reputation is dragged through the mud. I'm fired. I'm I'm I become, um, you know, an outcast in my in my field. I, I lose everything. Yep.
0: Now it's a good clarification. I I guess I should say that the research that he provides indicates that bosses should be perhaps less reluctant than they are. But you're right. He does go on to say the the threshold for evidence is also very low and so the risk still remains high and from his conclusion and what the research is showing it's particularly why it hasn't changed and I think when I think about it in a collegiate environment it is very different because we try to have a pretty flat structure but the very inherent nature of shared governance indicates that there are people with interests that can be competing Mm -hmm. certainly we've had the relationships between students and professors, right? That's another one where we often see uh, some some particular issues. But certainly on a college campus, we have to monitor these kinds of things very carefully. And, you know, Title IX issues have certainly arisen. And overall, we have a greater sensitivity, which I think leads to a healthier environment. Well, these issues aren't simple, Dennis. You know, when we uh, watch the skies, we certainly know that you know, people like Kaplan, I appreciate the fact that he is bringing to mind some of these difficult questions. I feel like the relational elements that COVID impacted, right? So here's another one where I'm feeling like there's this surge, collective surge in our community to want to be together again, to want to interact. I think even just this week, some of the events that we talked about, it just felt great to be together. And yet having this sort of shadow over us that Uh, is this litigiousness, This, even this idea of, I'm not even sure how to, to act. You know, we do a pretty careful job on campus of training people around sexual harassment, you know, how far is too far and crossing the line. But I think people aren't feeling particularly supported in lots of ways and feeling like it's just not even worth the effort. And I'd rather not take the chance. And I think that's what Kaplan's getting at.
1: Right. And again, it's a pity, in, at least in, in general, because that would be the natural place for people to, sure. you know, to, to develop friendships and, and, right. and romantic friendships. But
0: It's, it's not, an, not an yeah. easy issue. Right. Well, we're grateful that our listeners were with us today to talk through what was safe for work or not. <laughs> And uh, we'll continue to watch the skies and report out in the days ahead. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having you being with us again. We're the Watchers of the Skies here at Ashland University. See you next time.